What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Abul Samad from Navigant Research. And I'm Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives. Back from Nam. Did you see anything cool at Nam and the, the all the like music people? You know, tragically, I really never left the retail store. It's 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 such a zoo there that I did get to see a lot of cool people, but mostly because they were buying T-shirts from my brother. <laughs> okay, all right. Anybody notable? <laughs> um. Probably not. I mean, my, one of my favorite people is this guy, Kenny, who does who's actually endorsed as uh, as a um, what do they call it? the impersonator? But in a positive way, a yeah. tribute of um, for Elton John. Oh, that's cool. And, and Elton John actually endorses him as somebody that he supports <laughs> doing his music. And Kenny is just a riot and he's so much fun. And he walks around in full Elton gear all five days and it's just a blast. <laughs> so <laughs> he always makes sure to come into the store and say hi to us and stuff. And, and um, he's just a great, he's a great, great guy and does, and does an incredible show. So he's always fun to see. And they were probably people that I didn't know uh, that, you know, I should have recognized, but the, the fun part about now is a lot of fun things, but is that the music industry, the people there are just so consistently nice and fun and, just happy to be there and enjoy the show. And it's just, it's just such a great experience. That sounds so different from a car show. It does. <laughs> well, and I don't want to get us too off track, but believe me, that's what I was thinking. Oh, really? Like, well, this, no, it's true because, you know, so, so NAM is the National Association of Music Merchants and it's a combination of teachers. There's all of the suppliers there. So Fender is there, Gibson guitars, PV amps. Like it just goes on and on and on. And actually last year, Nissan was there because they had recently put in a Fender stereo in the Tundra. So there is overlap actually. I didn't realize um, Nissan had a Fender. I know Volkswagen did for a while. That's interesting, yes. huh? Yeah. So they, the, you, know, you mean the Titan? And the Titan, I'm sorry. Yeah. A Nissan Titan. Yes. So, yeah, it was it was, you know, so there is some low overlap, but it shows to me, NAM shows that what what an industry event can still be, you know, sort of like CES. Right. It's just it's that, you know, it's just there's a level of exclusivity. There's you know, you're seeing new cool things. You're seeing exciting things. Uh, and people really want to be there. Yeah. It's fascinating. Well, I t you know, I, I think that it's a. The, that industry has more tentacles than the car industry, and it's it's a little easier for them to iterate. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, no, for sure, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> but it, that's cool. I'm glad it was a good time. Um, so now we're all back and we're driving stuff. So let's get to that, uh, Sam. I was actually interested in your impressions of the Lexus GX because didn't we just tear that thing up a while, like a couple of episodes ago? No, that was the yeah, LX, I think. Right? Oh, it was the uh, LX? I had the uh, LX. Oh yeah, sorry. It's, it, was, it was the LX that I had. I, I missed Texas oh. in the rundown here. It was the yeah, it was the same the same one that you had. Okay, um, the very same one you and, found in uh, Rebecca's initials carved <laughs> under the dashboard. Yeah, strangely <laughs> enough, I, I was wondering what that RB was or that RL was there for. Um, no, yeah. So it, it was it was the same. Yeah, you know, in fact, you know the two row version. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and 
it, it, the timing actually was fortuitous because uh, it was right before I, uh, a couple of days before I left on a trip and uh, we got like eight inches of snow and then it got warm that day, you know, and so it all kind of got melted and slushy and then it got really cold the next day. And so it froze all this stuff. So maneuvering around in a regular car, you know, would have been a little more challenging, uh, you know, because this is basically a luxury um, you know, a Toyota Land Cruiser, it was, you know, it, it's actually really well sorted out for, you know, off-road driving, you know, aside from not having all-terrain tires. Uh, you know, if, if you actually wanted to use this thing off-road, I would definitely recommend getting some, some proper tires for it. You know, the all-season tires were fine for, for what I needed, you know, and, you know, getting around my neighborhood and, and other areas around these big chunks of ice, you know, that had sort half half melted and then flash frozen um you know it definitely made it easier that said you know this is a a big hulking suv you know it's a you know traditional body on frame suv you know for all the 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 good and bad that brings along you know it's heavy it's large um but you know it it's it's capable uh for what it's designed for um and it's also a gas hog you know, it, over the course of like four days, I think I drove it and, and then dropped it off at the airport. It averaged about 10 and a half miles per gallon. So, I mean, you know, the, that's a shoe and, that, size. And, that, not, and that included, not you know, some highway driving to get to the airport. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So we're, was it yeah. as underwhelming, though, as um, Rebecca found it with just the or like puzzling? Like, why does somebody buy this with this? Uh, yeah. It, you know, it, you know, it kind of was. Um, you know, because like I said, it, it's got, you know, a lot of the same characteristics as a Land Cruiser, you know, but it's more luxurious. But, you know, you're, you're getting no you're, you're compromising those Land Cruiser characteristics by putting all season tires on it instead of proper off road tires on it. Like you might have on, on a Land Cruiser, uh, because nobody that's going to buy the almost nobody that's going to buy the Lexus is actually going to use it for what a Land Cruiser is intended for. So it, it, it is kind of puzzling as to why it exists. Uh, but I'm, you know, I mean, there's a few thousand people a year that seem to like it. Um, and for them, that's great. You know, yeah. I would have no use. I mean, if, if I wanted a luxury SUV, I would be much more inclined, I think, to go for something like a Range Rover, you know, like a, a real luxury SUV with real off-road chops, I would be much more inclined to go for something like the Range Rover or, you know, uh, you know, a year or so from now, you know, for something like the Rivian R1S, you know, which I think is really targeting that. And it's that's going to be an EV, um, you know, for for what this is, you know, as, as we said last time, it's kind of old and it feels it, uh, you know, the, it, it has, you know, uh, the Lexus N-Form infotainment system, which is, you know, not a great UI. It, it doesn't have a touchpad like like the newer Lexuses. It still has the the old mini joystick, uh, joystick slash mouse controller, which is okay. But you know, it's it's just it's just not a great experience driving this thing. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean, my friend Tom, as I mentioned before, my friend Tom has gotten two of these, and he he loves it but he loves it for very specific reasons and and the most important thing in his mind is that his aging golden retriever matilda her cage she can lay down comfortably in the back 
that is his number one priority. And but I also yeah, but, oh go ahead. But, well, because I also think that he's not a Toyota guy. He'd rather have a Lexus. So he's very successful. You know, he's he's owned Lambos and Bentleys. He's got a, a an i8 right now, along with a um a, a, a Alpha a Julia, and he would he doesn't want to have a Toyota. He wants a Lexus. And say and hashtag okay boomer. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean that 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 use case of you know having enough cargo space in the back. You know, it's not like there's not other SUVs that have a big cargo area in the back. I know. You know, it's, it's legit. But you know, if you're talking about you know having an old dog, you know, a senior dog, you know that wants to be able to lay down and spread out. You know, it's also a very high liftover. So, I mean, how how's the do- you know? Do you have a ramp in there for the dog I, to I walk know. up the ramp? I, you I lift the dog up? up. I think he picks her up and puts it in. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's, I'm just telling you, you can get a little dog ramps. Yeah, I know. I, I know. Yeah, no, I mean, sure. d- and, and, you know, if you have a big dog, that's actually very useful. Yeah. I and mean, one of my neighbors down the street, you know, they've got uh, an older Ford Explorer and they've got a, you know, a 10 month old Bernie's mountain dog. <laughs> and, such a know, big dog. He's, he's already over a hundred pounds. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's Mike Corgi's best friend. I was going to say that's Daisy's playmate, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, I mean, obviously they can't lift him up to get him into the Explorer, you know, right. and he's, he's not quite, you know, he, he's not able to jump up into the back of the Explorer on his own. So they've got a ramp, you know, so he can get up into the back, yeah. which is great. I mean, and, and that's, that's perfectly legit, but you know, for, again, for, well, I guess, you know, it, it depends, you know, it sounds like your friend has a particular use case where he, he wants to have an SUV, you know, that he can take the dog yes. in. So that's and that's perfectly legit. I mean, that's that's why we have all kinds yeah. of different vehicles. Well, but and we will. There's no van options like in terms of a luxury van. You can't you can't get a Lexus version of the Sienna. Well, no, because no, the R class went away. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, the R class sort of fit that. Um, and I guess you know, given the the competitive set, right? I I personally would probably have more faith in the Lexus, even though it's old stuff than an escalade the escalade's going to be nice for a couple of years and then i'm kind of i'm a little on the fence about how well uh general motors luxury holds up you know the powertrain i'm sure would be fine but just you know the, the lexus stuff while it's a little disappointing in some respects and some of the materials are kind of not as good as you'll find in other brands and stuff it tends to be really reliable and durable and that's one of the things that sort of bites some of the other luxury brands is they just don't age well. So when you sell a vehicle that's already old, it's sort of like pre-aged, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll, I'll be curious, you know, the, the next time your friend Rebecca, you know, replaces the LX, you know, what he chooses, whether he continues with, you know, another Lexus or, you know, maybe looks at something like the, um, the BMW X7 uh, or something like the Rivian. Yeah, well, I mean, he he's having so much fun with his i8 that I do see him potentially getting like an X7. I mean, he's single, but he's got this dog and, you know, and that's his priority. And so and he does. In fa- I mean, in fairness, too, he does. And that's perfectly there's, legit there's like you know, to have the dog be your priority. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been done. You know, it's, I think something about racing and, yeah, that, and oh, precipitation. True. 
<laughs> well, I mean, he does, you know, and he, and he does like at Pebble Beach. He drove down from Seattle to Monterey, and then we there was five or six of us that would get in and out of this thing constantly. So, you know, and then they drove back, and so you know, he does enjoy driving it. And I mean, like, as you said, the fuel economy. Uh, I think I I think I got right around ten to eleven in town as well. I mean, the rate the one that I had was rated twelve, sixteen, and then combined fourteen. But um, yeah, I mean, it's I I finally put my review up on Rebecca Drives, and it's just it's a beast. It's a yeah. beast to to park. Yeah. It's a beast to turn around. You know, it's just it's big and and but it's just a beast that you know so that fuel economy is abysmal especially from the brand that makes you know the prius uh but yeah you know i don't i think this is such a sort of niche seller in the u.s especially you know it's it's because it's based on the what is it the prado that is right i think it's a lot more popular in other versions especially toyota versions in other parts of the world where it makes more sense so here it's kind of just like okay we compete with range rover here's our sort of half-hearted attempt you know yeah they probably can they can probably make this for relatively short money and it's all profit yeah yeah i mean you know the tooling would have been paid off long ago um yeah and i'll I'll be curious to see what lexus does next in this class you know because of you know some of the new competition that's out there uh you know and uh, i would assume that at some point in the not too distant future you know there will be a next generation of this platform uh you know that at that point may well get you know a hybrid option you know because i think there's um i think there's a new uh version of the tundra and you know some of the other trucks that's coming out either later this year or next year you know that will probably have a hybrid variant available and you know lexus is you know or toyota and lexus you know are really going all in on having hybrids available in pretty much everything they build well because hybrids are getting so much better because they're so much more transparent now than they were Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's different than like something like the Prius where it's, you know, there was a lot of sacrifices, especially on the early Prius. And yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, now it's it's, you know, it's completely normal. Yeah, right. It took I, a long time. I, well, we I think there. too, like um, I, I would love to see a hybrid Tundra um, because of Toyota's experience with hybrid. The thing that I recall is uh, the Prius hybrid hardware didn't scale as well. And that's what like, so GM came out with hybrid trucks back in the day uh, and they had the, right. you know, the hybrid uh, Escalade and stuff. Was like 10 years ago. Yeah, it was. Yeah. More it was than that? 2008. Yeah. Um, yeah, right? but yeah. yeah. They, so they had the hybrid SUVs where it was more of a challenge for Toyota to match that because their system didn't scale up to truck use as, as well, or as gracefully. So it, it'll be great to see what they do with it. Cause they have so much other experience with it now with their fleet. Um, but I, you know, the, the next LX is just going to be like one big grill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, it's funny you mentioned the X7 because that thing took so much crap when it debuted and it just yeah. looks fantastic on the road. I see them around the Boston area yeah. and they just look fantastic. They look really good. They do. They do. It's a handsome vehicle. Yeah. It really is. So, all right. So you didn't like the LX, Sam? It look. It's not a vehicle for me. Not, not for, okay, but for its target yeah. market, it has some. There's some sense there. Um, yeah, I mean, for 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 wealthy single guys with a with, with an a, older golden retriever, yeah. you know, wants to lie in the back. It's a perfect SUV. So then, who is the 2020 Lincoln Aviator Grand Touring for? Then uh, is that for like 
older golfing couples or no definitely i don't not for couples um Um, you know more more you know more for you know somebody who who wants luxury and you know wants three row capability um and also you know wants performance and electrification and and all that stuff all all in one fancy package um you know we Rebecca and I both drove the the Aviator last summer at the uh, the media launch out yeah, in California. Yeah, I thought it was excellent. It, it was, and you know, it, it's it still is. Although the example that I had here, I did have a few issues with it, and it, it turns out that it seems to mostly have been related to the battery, but not the big lithium ion battery under the floor, but rather to the to the old fashioned twelve volt lead acid battery under the hood. Do tell uh, what happened. Yeah, so. Um, you know, at, at one point, you know, midway through, uh, the week I had, had it for, uh, all of a sudden the driver's side door wouldn't open from the outside. Um, you know, I, I unlocked it and hit, you know, grabbed the handle and the, the door handles on the aviator are, they have electronic switches on the inside, you know, so you grab the door handle and it, it triggers the switch and unlatches the door and, I could not get the driver's side door to open. I actually had to climb in from the passenger side uh, and was reach it cold across out? to open it. Yes, was, it was cold. So, I mean, it's not an excuse, so, but I'm just like trying to like picture like this. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't a polar vortex cold, <laughs> but it was, it was, you know, it was in the twenties. Doesn't that, uh, so, that's okay. not cold. So that that's makes the argument, I'm sorry. That, that makes the argument for having like, you know, a linkage. <laughs> <laughs> or something oh, uh, totally well on well, the except, other hand except that that wasn't that wasn't the end of the issues uh, um you know the the very last day you know the day it was supposed to be picked up you know i was moving a couple of things around in my driveway and i moved the aviator you know so it was in position so they could easily pull it out of the driveway and, and you know take it away and, and replace it with something else and i moved it and then i came back out um you know an hour later um when uh when i when they were on their way to pick it up and i was going to get something out of it that i had left in there to get my usb cable out of it and i could not get any doors open or anything to respond i mean it would and so i finally pulled the uh you know when you have uh, these modern vehicles with uh keyless entry systems with a fob there's always a physical key still embedded in there for emergencies right and in the case of the aviator um because of the way the door handles are done, you know, where the, there's no keyhole there. The keyhole is actually embedded uh, just underneath the, uh, the mirror on the driver's side. And, you know, there's a, little, there's, a, there's a little flap there that is not very visible. But if you just stick the key through it, um, you know, it'll, you can unlatch it manually, unlock the, the door manually. And it actually does release the door, which actually could have been useful earlier in the week. But at this point, I tried to get it started. I tried to start the car and it wouldn't even wouldn't crank. I mean, it was completely dead. And, um, you know, when they when they came to to get it, they actually got it jump started. I was trying to figure out how to jump start this thing because I, I didn't want to mess anything up because it is a plug in hybrid. So you've got these two parallel electrical systems. You know, you've got the high voltage system and the 12 volt and there was no owner's manual in the car. So I didn't want no, to do it. Owners' manuals in the infotainment now, so they don't print well, it. Well, no, actually, it's because you know the, the these press vehicles, as we've talked about before, very often are pre-production models, oh, yeah, okay. and so they're shipped from the factory, and they don't they don't necessarily have everything with them that they're supposed to, like the owner's manual. Uh, and so I didn't have an owner's manual, so I didn't want to risk jump-starting it and 
<laughs> destroying it. So I just left it until they got there. Uh, but it was completely dead. And they, after they picked it up, they jump started it, took it back. An engineer checked it out back at Ford. And turns out it was a defective 12 volt battery. So, you know, even on these modern high tech vehicles, you can still get tripped up by something as, you know, as basic as a classic lead acid battery. Um, and, you know, but aside from aside from that, actually driving it was actually, you know, just it was still a great experience. You know, this thing, uh, you know, is really quiet. Um, for something that weighs almost three tons, it, you know, it's, it's surprisingly, um, you know, uh, nimble, uh, you know, it, it, it's got, it handles quite well, um, uh, and really nice interiors we've talked about before with, with Lincoln's with modern Lincoln's, um, you know, the, uh, you know, everything worked, everything inside, you know, when the 12 volt battery was working was worked great. I love, you know, unlike you, Dan. I do like the 30 way adjustable seats and I am able to get comfortable <laughs> in them. And I, I love the, the massaging system they have in there, which is great when you're t- going for a drive. Um, and you know, it's, I think for personally, for me, you know, if you're looking for a three row luxury SUV, I think that, you know, I, I personally think this is a great choice. Um, it, you know, it is a plug in hybrid. Uh, and I drove, I took it for a drive, uh, you know, f- fully charged it up. And the temperatures were in the mid twenties when I took it for a drive. I wanted to see how far I could actually go just on electricity without getting the engine turned on. And it's got multiple drive modes. One of which is, um, you know, the pure EV mode. There's also a preserve, uh, preserve EV mode where you can, um, when you put it in that mode, uh, it actually runs the engine and it'll, uh, actually charge up the battery so that if you're going somewhere, uh, where when you get close to your destination, you want to have it be able to go into EV mode. It'll actually charge the battery up for you while you're driving. But um, in pure, EV, in just straight up EV mode, it's only got about a hundred horsepower uh, from the electric motor, but it's got you know a couple of hundred foot pounds of torque, and you know it's it's not going to be a speed demon in that case, but it's got enough. It's it's enough that you know in uh, city driving, you can accelerate at a reasonable pace without the engine coming on. And I got about 15 miles out of it. It's officially rated at 21 miles. Uh, but again, you know, it was cold out, uh, which is going to degrade the, the performance. So I got about 15 miles out of it. And, you know, it, it's, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily um, something that, you know, if you're looking for, you know, for, for really a, a pure EV, you know, this is not the vehicle for you. Um, but if you want, you know, a luxury three row SUV that gets really good fuel economy, um, you know, overall and, you know, can also do a bit of electric driving, then, you know, it's, it's definitely one to consider. It's not inexpensive. You know, this one was, uh, you know, it's a black label. It was like $84,000. Uh, so it was pretty much loaded with everything. Um, but, Frankly, I would take this thing over the Lexus LX any day. It's a little more modern, which I think it's twenty thousand dollars less. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, you know, this is this is not um, you know, this is not uh, an off road vehicle either. Uh, mm, you know, right. This, it's a this different. Is, this is consumer. yeah, this is a this is a vehicle for on road driving. And, you know, it is the most powerful production Lincoln ever, ever built, you know, 400 and almost just shy of 500 horsepower, 670 foot pounds of torque. You know, this thing is pretty quick. Um, oh, one one other uh, thing that, that I did note. Um, 
in some driving modes, particularly if you put it in sport mode at low speed, sometimes the um, the engagement you know of the clutches when it's going switching between um, electric mode and um, and hybrid mode. Um, sometimes you can feel a little bit of um, a thunk, you know, when, when it's engaging the clutch, when you switch it over to normal or econ mode, that pretty much goes away. It disappears. So I think it's just a matter of, you know, they're engaging the clutches a little quicker to give you a little better performance when you have it in sport mode. And that affects the drivability a little bit. Um, I, I've heard some complaints from some people, from a couple of people that drove it during the, um, during the North American car of the year evaluations last fall that they thought it was undrivable. And that's, I mean, both this time and last summer when I drove it, that that was absolutely not the case. You know, it's not quite in sport mode. It's not quite as seamless as perhaps it it should be. But in any other mode, it's perfectly fine. I mean, undrivable is kind of a extreme criticism, right? Like you're actually driving the thing. (laughs) It's just uh, some especially with with all the drive systems. that kind of stuff is not uncommon where you get some of the, some of the, the power transfer just, you know, sort of uh, makes a bump here and there. Um, some of the Jeeps do it too. Um, but I mean, I don't know that it's terribly uh, acceptable either. Like you, you would hope that Lincoln can. Well, especially in a, in a vehicle this expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they'll, they'll have to figure that out. And and maybe they're, if it was a pre-production car, maybe they're still working on those calibrations or whatever. How's the, um, How's the visibility out the front? Um, you know, it's typical of an SUV. You know, it's not great. Because that, that's, um, you know, I mean, the, the, apparently one of the, the critiques of the Explorer is that, like, the sight lines are bad. So there's a huge blind spot in front. Did you find that? Not not any more so than any other, you know, similarly sized SUV. No. Hmm. You know, the pillars the pillars are actually slimmer than on the, the old Explorer. You know, substantially slimmer than on the old Explorer. So I think it's the visibility is actually better than previous generation explorer it just you know we mock the 30-way seat but those sort of minute adjustments can actually help you with that that visibility if the a pillar is a little bit wider and you're able to move your seat back just a scooch or move it up a little bit or just make those fine-tune adjustments that can really improve your visibility oh absolutely and it's so funny now because everything we drive has uh, uh power seats and I well, except the Jeep Wrangler that I have that will get you. <laughs> we'll get you that. Um, but it, it is weird when I get in a car with manual seats, and a good a good manual seat still allows for that fine adjustment. Um, and a lot of manual seats are still not great. They're still you know back in like '90s economy car adjustability wise. Uh, so yeah, no, that's that's. I think that's right. You can get that 30 way seat, seat sort of dialed in position wise where you need it. I'm just, you know, yeah. maybe I'm just not comfortable in my skin. So I shouldn't expect to be comfortable in a car. So, <laughs> well, you know, I, I think, you know, one of the challenges with manual seats, especially is with height adjustment. Mm-hmm. You usually don't get much in the way of height adjustment with most manual seats. Um, and that is an advantage you tend to get with, you know, power seats like this is, you know, being able to go up and down. Uh, so, you know, depending on how tall you are, 
uh, or lack thereof, you know, that, that can be really valuable. <laughs> I, no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure. No, you know, it's true. It, it is, is true. true. Yeah. I, I loved in my, my Volvo 740s, I had the, there's a little lever right on the, the, near the tunnel and you can adjust the height of the front and back of the seat. It had limited positions because it had pins. So it would lock. There was sort of three positions in front, three positions in the rear. Um, but there's some cars now with the manual seats where they have like a little lever that you pump on the side and you can get them up and down. And I said, yeah and that certainly helps yeah it sure does but overall you know to the visibility question you know it's this is an issue not so much of the aviator but of suvs in general big suvs in general you know where you know you've got a hood that's up high yeah you know and that inherently is going to limit your your visibility especially forwards yeah i mean you're just going to take out pedestrians which is i think an increasing problem uh that nobody's really talking about uh you know i stood next to an hd uh chevy pickup the other day and i was like holy crap (laughs) it's taller than me could you could you reach over the bumper Uh, (laughs) almost not like it was just those those things are enormous they're high and this one probably had a lift in it but it's just it was tall i was like i practically that's not useful for me if i was using it for truck stuff i you can't get anything in it. You have to climb up into it and just. I, so Re- Rebecca, when you, when you drove the LX, I mean, how yeah. did you find the visibility in that one? Well, I, I didn't run over any small children. So I got that going okay. for me. Large animals. Um, yeah, exactly. No, uh, you know, it, it's deceptive because the ride height gives you the impression that you see more. Right. Because you're sitting up so high. So you get the impression that you've got full visibility when in reality, of course, your line of sight is compromised by what's in front of it. So, you know, I think that there's it's it's one of those things that you don't notice until you've hit that cone on a test track. Yeah. You know, or right until you test it, you don't realize that you don't have the visibility that you think you have. Well, I think you see yeah. further, like you'll see further down the road just because of the angle that you're at. You're, you're right. elevated, but you, that it's I think you're right. I think it's deceiving. Nobody ever thinks about that distance in the front of the car, which you can't see because of the long yeah, hood of your seating position. Yeah. And there was uh, there was an article that was somewhere that was just published or a study that was done. Um, I think it was um, maybe a newspaper in California. Uh, you know, they did a bunch of measurements. Basically, you know, when you're in a big truck or SUV. Yeah, you can see what's, you know, 250 feet down the road better because you're up higher, but it's that 30 feet right in front of the, your vehicle that you can't see anything in. I mean, you're, it's a complete blind spot. But that's you know, you also can, you why. You can hide a Miata out of there. Right. <laughs> but that's also why I love the cameras that like when you, you put, you know, you put the car in reverse, it shows the back. And then I love the 360 view and also the ones that when you put it in, in drive or forward, mm-hmm that it continues to show the space around your vehicle. I think those are, I, I wish that that was a more common thing. Some vehicles do it. And it's funny because sometimes I think it's actually just because the system is slower, uh, <laughs> but it does help though in some ways. So, you know, that's something that I think would be really effective is to have a camera that, you know, when you put it into drive, it doesn't immediately change. And and instead does show you that that 10 feet or 15 feet directly in front of you. 
Yeah. Well, the, the problem with those is that they typically only work up to about three or four miles an hour. And then right. usually as soon as you get above, you know, crawling speed, then the camera switches off. And, you know, for a legitimate reason, yeah, because absolutely. they don't they don't want you looking at the screen. Right. You know, to, to navigate, you know, when, when you're actually on the road. No, not for that. No, we don't want you looking at the screen for the cameras, but you, we want you looking at the screen for every other goddamn thing while you're driving. <laughs> oh, sorry. That is a peppy. But no, you're like you. It's true. Um, some of the systems. How do you feel, Sam? Uh, <laughs> look, it was an opening. I just had to take it. Uh, <laughs> uh, the the Mercedes that I just had, the the GLC three hundred, um, was like that, where it would keep the screens on a bit as you sort of maneuvered around a parking situation. It would actually, as you in in traffic, even um, as you got down to sort of stop and go, and it mm. it would you'd you'd hear it sort of deploy. It it had a, a rear camera that sort of folded up, so you'd hear it like zinc. Uh, oh, funny. Hold up the camera and bring them up on the screens. So I think that's something that they are um, paying attention to. And there's usually a button for the like surround view monitoring right. on cars. So you can you can kick it on in traffic. Right. Um, Which I, I do appreciate. Yeah, that. it's it's nice. I, I kind of wish that we could just make the cars with enough glazing and visibility and maybe some smaller physical dimensions. So we didn't have to use cameras to make sure we don't crush things <laughs> it'd be nice you, you know they, they still make those some brands still make smaller cars like that yeah and, you know that's we, true you know if we could just convince people to buy them you know they might continue to make them yeah that i mean i'm i'm not exactly a poster child for small cars although i do love them i really i like the, the small car feeling i like how cozy they are I'm Don't sure we can pick me. you up a smart at any time. I'm all set with the smart. All set. <laughs> good, good with that. Um, but you know, since I started talking about it, let me um, let me just keep rambling about the GLC 300. Man, I so that showed up, and I expected to dislike it. And my first few hours with it were a little contentious because it's pretty sophisticated. You know, it has the MBUX system, which is a change from command. So there's a bit of a learning curve. It has a little sort of touch sensor, just like this little mound <laughs> that you have to um, interact with. And uh, it it took me some getting used to to figure out where all the settings are. There's a lot of settings and, and just how you navigate back and forth between like nav and phone and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but the tech doesn't define... The vehicle and the GLC as a vehicle is really, really, really good. Um, it is that, you know, speaking about sort of a smaller size, it's a little more compact. It's uh, that good size. I think that the sort of personal crossover SUV size, it's, you know, if you want to use a kind of a ridiculous term like an urban crossover or an urban SUV, it really does fit that that need um it's it's just about just right for going into a city in a parking garage it's easy to park uh it's very comfortable while you're in it um it, everything feels really high quality everything you touch has been considered you know the switch gear feels really nice which is you know something that you can you can have the car that looks great but if you if you use those window switches right and there's that line of molding flash on there you can feel it sort of it it's those little things that sort of mar the experience and and the GLC has been really thoughtfully considered for all of those it's uh very quiet very comfortable what engine noise you can hear is you know four cylinder turbo so it has a little bit of that gravel to it but it's not offensive it 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 doesn't sound like it's 
not enjoying itself. It it it, it, it sounds good, uh, and it gets to work with the nine speed transmission really well. The chassis is really well composed. It handles well. It rides really well. Uh, the, all the drive modes they they make a difference. The steering feel was nice. I was actually surprised. The steering sort of weights up in the middle of a turn, which doesn't always happen these days. Um, yeah, the back seat was kind of tight. I didn't. Uh, find it terribly spacious, even with uh, the front seat set for my uh, sort of smaller stature. Um, it was still a little tight for the for the kids, and the cargo area is good but not great. Um, but it's it's a compact class of I think it's like a B segment or maybe C segment SUV. I think it's C. I think it's C. well, G- yeah, yes, it's a C. Right. Yeah. And, and so this, I, I finally, while well, I had it, I figured out Mercedes naming convention. So the, the GLC <laughs> is. Basically, it's the SUV equivalent of the C-Class sedan. The GLE is the SUV <laughs> equivalent of the E-Class. I was like, oh, holy crap, makes sense. Um, but no, I, I so I expected to really dislike it. And the more and more I drove it, the more it grew on me. I really liked it. I found MBUX actually uh, after a, yeah, a day or two pretty intuitive and pretty quick to navigate and the more time i spent with it uh, i you know i think it would just get easier and easier so and i think that's the mark of a well-designed system where yes it's complex and yes there's a little bit of a learning curve at first but after you spend some time with it it becomes intuitive and easier to to operate and so i think that you know deserves a a, a sort of a compliment and a, a round of like well done on on mercedes part because uh command wasn't great and uh they've made it a lot better uh i think with with mbux so and and you know to top it all off i just like the way that the glc looks it just has that tidy sort of taut uh mercedes look to it that it's just it's classically handsome it's really nicely styled. It drives really solid. It was great in the winter weather. We had some snow while I had it. So I was really impressed with it. I liked it quite a bit. Did you um, use the uh, the voice recognition much? I Not much. No. I, well, I used Apple CarPlay most of the time, which is okay. weird to admit from my Luddite seat over here. But uh, it, it it worked pretty well with all of that. Why is there an issue with it that you wanted to? to? No, I'm just curious uh, because, you know, part of that, uh, that MBUX system is a new, um, you know, oh, that's right. Like what they're a natural language processing uh, voice recognition system. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the, the voice rec part comes from nuance, but it's, it's a hybrid system. So there's part of it resides is embedded in the MBUX system locally in the vehicle. And then there's also a cloud component too, like you have with uh, Siri or Google Assistant or Alexa, um, so that when you're, you know, when you have connectivity, it will send, you know, your request. It'll process your requests in the cloud, uh, where it has more capability to do more natural language style processing. But then, if your connectivity is spotty uh, or non-existent, then it, it it has a subset of that capability locally. So I was just curious, you know, if you'd messed around with that and and how you know, how good you found it. I I hadn't, but uh, I will make it a point the next time I have an opportunity. I, I should be able to get back into it in a couple of weeks. We're doing a winter vehicle award thing up here, so I'll be able to go play with it. Um, but I I was really I really liked the way it drove. It was sporty enough for me in terms of chassis discipline, but it was I also felt like it was luxurious enough, like a, a Mercedes should feel and. If, you know, fully loaded, it wound up at about 62,000, which is like, it's pricey. Don't get me wrong. 
but it was yeah. less expensive than I thought it would be. Well, and I think you're right about the design of it. It's just it's it is it's just a classically sort of timeless elegance. It will age well mm -hmm. in the marketplace, you know, and that's very appealing for consumers. And it's just, you know, they've had some nice evolution. Speaking of grills, you know, the, the front of it, I think, has aged again, has aged well in previous editions. I think they've done a nice restrained a job of expanding the grill without making this it this gigantic mouth that just feels like you're going to swallow it up. I'm still incredibly partial to the coupe version of it just because, <laughs> as I've said before, it just screams, I don't have children. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> um, but, you know, I don't know. It's just it's my little rebel. Okay. <laughs> so, right. um, but no, I think that it's been a while since I drove a Mercedes, actually. Uh, but I think that. They're just they're just classically traditionally beautiful vehicles. I think they've done a nice job. Yeah, well, and this one had the AMG line uh, or whatever, so it has the AMG grill versus the, so the standard fun. grill. So it had, yeah. you know, I, just the detailing and the design was. Uh, it's those subtle little things that that you know I think they define, especially that premium category. You can't just charge a lot of money and throw leather on everything. You know, like it right. really it it needs to feel like it it was done with a purpose and 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 looked like it was done with a purpose. I, so this, this whole the whole car i thought was you know 62k again didn't feel outrageous for it because it, it felt right. like it was worth it whereas there are some other cars that don't feel like that which i'll get to in a sec <laughs> i i think that they don't they don't just they're not just leaning on their brand name they reward you with those touches and feels and materials, they reward you for purchasing a Mercedes. Like they don't let you forget it, you know? Yeah. It, I just, I feel like there's a constant reminder that you've, you know, you've purchased something special. I mean, I had that crazy, um, I had the GTC Roadster back <laughs> in September. That was just, you know, all sorts of fun. It, it, that was $162,000. Um, but you know, it was, it was, you had no doubt that you were in a Mercedes at all times and it was just nonstop fun. Yeah. Yeah. And so the contrast to that is the, and I, I won't prattle on about it, but the, uh, the Volvo XC90, uh, T6, our design Polestar engineered, um, which Rolls I think, off the tongue. Yeah. Well, the Polestar <laughs> engineered, I think is a particular package. So it, you know, this is right. another vehicle that it looks really great inside and out. It looks premium, but that's also where it sort of lets you down because unlike the Mercedes where yes, it has a four cylinder turbo, but it, it, it didn't sound bad. It sounded, you know, it's a, a good sounding engine. It, it, uh, you know, has the right amount of power, you know, the XC90 is bigger. So it's got a more powerful engine, but it's also a much heavier vehicle. So the engine feels like it struggles and it also does not sound happy about it. You get a lot of engine noise in the Volvo, which I was surprised about. And it would have been better if it were good engine noise. It's not great engine noise. Um, so that was disappointing. And it just chassis wise, I, I don't know why Volvo can't get this right. Uh, and this had the air suspension huge disappointment it just it's clumsy none of the, the you know the steering's too slow the the ride and handling is just not not graceful um but you're also not rewarded with good sort of reflexes like maybe in terms of hard numbers you could manhandle this thing around a, a handling course and it would it would post okay times or whatever or it would do all right 
it hates every single second of that. It's not like the Mercedes <laughs> where y- you could make it hustle and it it wouldn't mind. It mm. you know like and that's I maybe not terribly important with the XC90, but I guarantee you if you cry, if you walked over and stepped in an X5, it would feel mm. sporty. And the XC90 doesn't. Do you think that that's? I, I mean. It's interesting because, you know, I've had my pros and cons with Volvos myself. Semi, you know, the XC40 that I drove back and forth in one day to Pennsylvania. It was like, you know, a six, seven hour drive. I actually really liked that car. And the more I was in it, the more fun I had with it. And the the XC90, I do remember being quite restrained and not in a positive way um, and not particularly emotionally engaging. Yeah, either. I, I, well, so the XC40 is the CMA architecture. So it's a, it's a different platform, which I think, um, and it, it's just sort of a different slice of the market. So mm. your expectations yeah, are a little different. Yeah, it is for sure. But I, right. like, I, I liked the XC40 quite a bit. I liked the, the S60 and even the, the V60 cross country, which are yeah. based on the yeah. SPA platform that the XC90 is. I thought those actually, the S60, I thought, rode and handled quite well um yes and just was a, a good overall premium european sedan the the xc90 for whatever reason it doesn't feel as um as solid it was it's it's hard to explain but it feels like um you know it feels like they've cranked up the the spring and damping rates but this is the 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 chassis isn't quite up to that stiffness so you get you get a lot of harshness over stuff that you're not you shouldn't, you know, it just should be able to soak that stuff up and it makes it feel cheap and it's not cheap. It's $80,000. Yeah. It's not cheap. <laughs> just like for 80 well, grand, I would not buy this. And it sort of interrupts the experience then. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right? And it's, you know, cause all of a sudden you're like, Oh, boom. Yeah. Like that's not, yeah. And I like, so I told somebody the other day, I said, like, look, if you want something that looks that good and has three rows, buy the Telluride. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, and it, absolutely. And it drives hundred percent. Like hundred yeah, percent. When I when I've driven the XC90, you know, I've, uh, I've I've had a couple of different ones over the last several years. Um, I didn't have that same experience with it. I wonder how much of that is the the Polestar engineered part of it. I think because, it's a big part of it. Yeah, yeah, because Polestar, you know, is their well, it was it was their performance sub brand. Now it's their EV sub brand, and so you know, I think. The, the Polestar engineered, you know, is supposed to be a sport version of the XC90. And maybe that's just, you know, going a step too far for that particular vehicle. Well, I think part of the problem is Volvo's inability uh, historically to really tune a suspension for sportiness in the in its segment properly. You know, I remember the, the original T5Rs were very capable cars but man did they suck in terms of ride <laughs> they were just super super stiff um and this is the same kind of thing you know it's got big wheels and short sidewalls that does not help <laughs> um you know it and the air suspension i think has been problematic on the xc90 every xc90 i've had with the air suspension has been surprisingly harsh uh where you would expect air suspension to go the other way um and and generally like i'm not a huge air suspension fan it's and it has a lot of promise that generally is unrealized i think in my opinion in terms of of how it actually goes down the road it's great if you want something cushy but if you if you really want something that can be a chameleon i think you're better off with the system that has you know steel springs and adjustable dampers and that, that generally gets you a lot further uh but 
yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is. It's, it's some, some sort of decision making process or something where they, they tune it a certain way. Decisions are made, and here, at least in New England on New England roads, it it winds up being a little bit disappointing and uh, not as. I don't know, not as competitive within its class. You know, I'm just trying to think like if I, if I were to drive a Mercedes or a BMW or an Audi, which are all its competitors, I can't imagine that they would feel as harsh. Uh, I think they would, they would feel more, more uh, poised in most situations. And, and you don't, you know, harshness is not good in any circumstance, but in some ways, like when you think about, uh, you know, like the X5M, you know, like like that, like harshness for a reason, you know, because you've yeah. got it sport tuned because you're expecting that you are you are in a sport mode. And I wish you could see my hands because I'm like ripping them like, oh, I want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do a video podcast. Next. You fix, you know. Uh, but, yeah, but it's like, you know, you don't want it floaty. No, because right? that's annoying. You, you, you want, want control, it. controlled and also supple at the same time. Yeah, and and right. so I think one of the things that makes it difficult when you get a vehicle that's as you know th- this is the biggest version of the SPA, and so maybe that's the they just can't get it rigid enough at that you know to 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 work that well in this version of it where the S sixty is a little smaller so. It's by its very nature probably a little bit more rigid, a little little less susceptible to, to torsion and bending. So they can they can adjust the suspension differently because I didn't feel like that car was harsh, and it's the same same parts in a lot of respects. Uh, this is also not the most high performing XC90. There's the T8 above this that that's the one that really has you know it's got the the hybrid, so it, it has a, a bit more performance. Yeah, I think it's got like a hundred more horsepower, which definitely helps. Um, but you know the the XC90 is it it has this niche of beautiful to look at, really comfortable to be in, three rows, relatively large. It's a good family SUV, but it it, it has these weird areas where it lets you down, and and so it was it's a little puzzling to me. Um, and at least I haven't bitched about Census yet, which I'm not going to do. <laughs> Because it's going away anyway, so who cares? Well, I'll complain about the next version. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I, I was, uh, I was hopeful that it would be better. But it's, it's also like it's now it's a five year old car, right? The new the the XC90 debuted in 2015, something like that. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so it's it's due for some updates, and I think its class has, uh, has started to eclipse it. So we'll see what they do with the next version. Or the the mid cycle refresh, which should be coming soon, I hope. So I was driving the 2020 Wrangler Unlimited Rubicon four by four, which is just fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, if so, you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> so okay, so it's the the Wrangler Unlimited Rubicon four by four. What powertrain? So this one has. I'm sorry, I have to take my glasses off. It's, it has a 2.0 liter. Uh, in line four. No, the, the, the turbo Wrangler automatic. is the best Wrangler. I that's great. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. and that's that's also the e-torque. It's that's the really mild hybrid. Yes, it does. It's really really nice. I mean, I drove it. I haven't driven it a ton, unfortunately, but I've been running errands yesterday and today in it. Yesterday it was raining a lot, and uh, it was it was surprising. This one has the cloth roof, which I was able to put open today, which was super cool. I uh, but this one has 
uh, the cloth roof and, you know, at low speed in traffic yesterday, I was really pleasantly surprised that it was pretty quiet. I, I did make a note in my review on the after the riding drive that there was some wind noise at, at higher speeds. You're going to get that. But just driving around town, you know, going 30, 25 to 35 miles an hour, I, I was pleasantly surprised. I also didn't have anybody in the vehicle with me, so we weren't having a conversation. But it didn't matter because the radio was soft and I was able to hear it. And I had a conversation. I talked on the phone with somebody. And so you know, it was it was a good experience overall. Today, then I drove it around a little bit more and took some twisties. Was was again running some errands and visiting some different people and and had the opportunity to use it as I would uh, in a day to day environment. Obviously, ideally, you want to go off road in this thing, but that is not to be. So, <laughs> um, but I'm just I'm so impressed with how well behaved this vehicle is on road knowing the crazy things that you can do with it off road yeah. that to me is like really really fun that does always sort of impress me about the wrangler and i, I tend to get tired of the wrangler after a week with them i'm like okay it's out of my system for a while but they're pretty pretty impressively refined for something that's just the same basic design going back you know, well, especially this new generation, this new the generation. New really yeah. The, the contrast yeah. between the JK and the JL is, is it, it's big. it is. I mean, my brother has the JK and, and I, I agree with you, Dan. I'm like, OK, thanks. Bye. Thanks for the ride. <laughs> See ya. You know, and I also have a much more difficult time getting in and out of his than I do this one for some reason. And I don't know why. And I, I don't know. I think he's got the fully loaded. I think he does have this exact same one. The unlimited Rubicon. Because the price point was crazy, like this one is, uh, and you know, for whatever reason, this one is just I can get in and out of it easily. So it was interesting. It does have manual seats. I by, and at first I had a little trouble figuring out what it could and could not do. Uh, but then this morning I was able to adjust the height of it, which then let me put it back a little bit, but greatly improved my visibility in it and my comfort level also. And so that's where we're at when we were talking earlier about manual versus electric, I would love to have an electric seat. I understand why it doesn't have it, obviously, with it being like basically a, a, a vehicle you can wash it out <laughs> and you can get wet. Um, but you know, it's something that you just have to play around with the seat a little bit more and, and give it a little time to figure out what you can and can't do with it. But, you know, I just I it's so iconic. And I just I love the fact that they really have honored what the brand is and what this vehicle is. But at the same time, they have made it where you really can use this vehicle on a day to day basis. And, you know, it's I've said it before, and I'll say it again, it's the busboys and billionaires. I mean, you just see, <laughs> you see these, you see Jeep Wranglers at the smallest houses here in Greenwich and at the biggest ones. I think you and definitely need that. to be more of a billionaire to afford where the Wrangler has gone. Well, <laughs> and, and so how many of the Wranglers do you see have been just like sort of fetishized with like the angry eye grills and all kinds of add on the, just the most disgustingly ugly wheels you've ever seen punisher <laughs> so stickers Actually, today i saw a jk that was just a two-door yeah. i was i those was amazed are, those yeah, are was weird to see now aren't they it was <laughs> it, it was shocking it was it was really shocking to see so this one has a starter 
starting price of 70, oh, I'm sorry, 41, 795. Uh, and then deliver the destination charge is 1495. I think that's one of the highest in the industry is, for non. Is it just a place premium. where they sort of like slug away some extra costs where they're like, yeah, yeah, we can quote you a different price. We're going to charge you more for destination and we're going to, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm actually really surprised. And so then this, this price is out at 59, 275. I mean, it's a it, that's an incredible well, amount of money. Like a, you know, I don't know what's uh, a Mercedes GLC. Well, <laughs> sure, but I'm just thinking like it's like the full size pickups too, or like you know the, the sort yeah. of full on luxury pickups. Um, depending on you know your buying situation, right? Like if you're if you're a successful billionaire business person or whatever, like you can buy it as your company vehicle, right, and amortize it over seven years. So. Yeah, I don't think it weighs enough. Oh, maybe it doesn't. That's that's true. Uh, the big pickups too. Uh, no, well, you can you can still lease it. Like you know, if you lease yeah, you it as lease. a company vehicle. Okay. Yeah. Right. I yeah. Mean, there, there's there's tax credits on heavy duty vehicles that you wouldn't get on this, but you can right. still get tax breaks. You know, as a as a and, company lease. And, right. and beyond with the the sort of tricky uh, bookkeeping, they will give you a very long loan on that. <laughs> Yes, you know, they like, will. But so this, so so just a couple things on this one. This one actually does have the cold weather package, which has the heated steering wheel, heated front seats, remote start. Because the one that I had on the ride and drive was like fifty two thousand, and it did not have heated seats. And I remember just thinking for fifty two grand, right? Like that should just be but standard. Like it, well, yeah. So this, so the one that I, the one that I drove on the event was 53645 and it did not have heated seats and steering wheel it didn't have the cold weather pack that's crazy. and i agree especially because even if you're out in the desert even if you're in you know in in, the, in nevada it, you can use a cold weather pack because you can use heated seats you want to put the top down or something like so those are things that i just feel like you use all i, I use them all the time no matter where i am but yeah so so this one at least had that but I mean, it's again, it's a, it's an insane amount of money, but it's a, also a vehicle that you can very gracefully drive and in comfort to work and then just go badass off on the weekends. <laughs> hey, Rebecca, uh, I'm yes. curious, the, the soft top, you know, is that uh, like a fully lined multi-layer top? It doesn't appear to be fully lined. So it's the Sky One Touch Power Top. It it was fairly thick, but I don't believe it's lined. It also, but it didn't flap at all, which I was again very surprised about. I, I can I'll get back to you on that. Okay, uh, I'm just curious, you know, because you you commented on how quiet it was, and so I'm just curious, you know, if it you know had some insulation built into there. I I know it was it just fit so tight, like that's again what I was really surprised about is that the fit on that on that roof is really really nice it is and um, then it goes it's, it's a pretty thick material too so even if it's not insulated right yeah. it goes all the way back you know you i i looked back and it is like all the way back i uh, with one touch and um but i just again was very very surprised i haven't taken it on the highway yet i will do that tomorrow that's that's I, where they fall down so, they're loud I, it, on the highway well, yeah, well, and that's you know, NVH is very you know specific to circumstances. Yeah, yeah, and it's especially with the you know when you get a Rubicon, you you do get all terrain tires, and yes. so those those are going to make a lot more noise at highway speeds. Yes, exactly. And again, that's that's where you know I posted something on our Twitter account on Twitter reviews about 
how quiet it was, but um, I was on, you know, in at low speed in town roads. So I'm not taking it on the highway. As I said, I'll do that tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I don't know about the full soft top, but I, so the there's the Wrangler with the hard top, the, the Jail with the hard top, and they have the, like the cloth roof in it. Um, that is made by a company called Hearts, and they use a specific fabric for it that has, mm. I think, PVC in it or something. I don't know. Anyway, somebody else can do the research and get back to it. Is that the one out in, in Massachusetts? Yeah, they're in Acton. Yeah, my dad actually used to call on them. Oh, really? Yes, because uh, he he was in they they used to treat it flame treat it or do some kind of heat application on on different materials and he used to go there oh that's interesting yeah so the it's that particular material i don't know again i don't know if the regular soft top is made out of this but that that portion of the um the roof and the 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 soft roof and the hard top versions is uh twill fast which is uh, it's a three ply material and there's a rubber inner layer which will mm. you know that will add some mass and some sound deadening so right uh maybe well, maybe it's the same material used on the soft top i don't know they're actually super nice people i've, I've met the they're super nice people i know they were really lovely and when my father passed away they were very very kind and very very sweet i but that but also what's impressive is that again the fit of that of that top is very very tight. If at any time that gets compromised, then I could see where it might be really loud. Yeah, right. But, and that's one of the things with the JL. They made the top easier to use. Uh, yes, it's one. <laughs> like the JK it's one was touch. a little confusing. Yeah, no, um, it's amazing. It's one touch. It goes all the way back. I mean, I was in a convertible, you know, in ten seconds, and then I put the heated seats on and steering wheel, and I was happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and genuine. But yeah, I mean, the price. The pricing is definitely. You know, something that um, can be a deal breaker for some people if if you get it all dolled up. Um, what's this? Because the base, I mean, the Wrangler Unlimited Sahara 4x4 starts at $28,295. So, you know, there's this huge range, sort of, sort of like the Aviator and sort of actually like a lot of cars these days. There's this great big, huge range of price points and which is good because then you can decide what your budget is. Yeah. Well, and the, the Wrangler, if you're going to sort of load anything up with all of the options and pay for it, that's a good one to do it with. I'm not that I ever suggest anybody go into that kind of debt, but uh, <laughs> it, it holds its resale. It does. You can't. It does like, for sure. A, a cheap Wrangler yeah, is absolutely. never cheap. Like you, you're going to like they just they they all go for for good money. Even like go try to find a TJ. It's yeah, not a no, it's true. So. Yeah, it's amazing. You had posted about the the Wrangler mm -hmm. to the car review tweets, um, Twitter, and you, you got some sort of commentary back, which I, you know, it's it's valid critique to a degree, but also just sort of how how the reviewer kind of ecosystem Crit might work. Critiquing the critique, yeah, which yes. is, I know it's fine, and we're open to it. Um, and it was just, uh, I think it it deserves sort of a mention. And, and a little bit of discussion. Yeah, so I had posted uh, just briefly because that's what our brief Twitter car reviews are. Right. <laughs> um, just about how pleased I was with the, the NVH and that. And, um, and you know, somebody came back and said, well, Motor Trend said the exact opposite. 
I'm like, well, that's fine. That's that's the beauty of it being an opinion. Right. You're like, this is, you know, there are opinions in this one is mine, which I think is it's valid. And I sort of made a joke. I was like, we're, right. we're the reviewers people should listen to. Exactly. That's <laughs> like, you know, as, as they say, you know, opinions are like certain body parts. Right. You know, everybody's got one. Um, right. you know, and, and I think, you know, the the comment, you know, from uh, from this person, you know, to reply to your uh, comment, Rebecca, you know, he said, but with conflicting opinions like these, any wonder many consumers don't take journalists seriously and those who do uh, get seriously confused about what to believe. Uh, my opinion, you know, helps uh, my opinion helps all to remain discontent with such comment with, or such content. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, especially when you're talking about reviews, you know, these are, as you say, opinions and, right. you know, they are completely, you know, in in most in many ways, most ways probably, especially for us, you know, because we don't do instrumented testing, is you know they they are completely subjective, and it, there's absolutely nothing wrong with having very divergent opinions right. on a particular vehicle. Well, uh, I I think they're they're subjective, but they're also informed. And then I, mean, I think it's valid yes. too to say like you should always look at it with a skeptical eye. Um, uh-huh. especially when a lot of folks who are looking for reviews, they, they don't know how to put their preferences or their thoughts and feelings into order or into words as well as we do. And so you've got to sort of look at what, what the reviewers are saying and whether you think that the criticisms are valid, invalid. You know, some people will think that our, you know, our, the way we ramble on about infotainment isn't <laughs> important. Uh, where others will and they're wrong, <laughs> exactly. You know? Like and, and because it's not important to them, right? Or um, the, you know, I've had people say like, "Oh, census is fine," and we we've complained about census or you know, iDrive or or whatever, you know. And it's like, okay, like if you find it easy to use, I I get it. But you know, we're in a lot of cars, and some of this stuff is harder to figure out than others. And you know, here's my informed take on that. And, you know, right. you can choose to, to take it or leave. I'm not going to get offended either way. And we're certainly not going to get in an argument. And I don't I don't want to be doing that here either. And I, I don't think that's what we're doing. But I, I think it's so it's valid. I think it's a valid thing to say. Is it any wonder that people get confused? Like, no, I'm not, I don't think it's a wonder that people get confused. But also, like, we're trying to sort of lay our cards out on the table, too. Right. And, well, and, you know, the important thing, sorry, Rebecca, no, I just want to say one thing, you know, the, the important thing, you know, as a reviewer is to provide context about why, you know, what is your rationale for your opinion? And as long as you can provide some justification for your opinion, then, you know, anybody reading that review or listening to that review can say, okay, that matches up, you know, with my lifestyle or my use case, you know, or it doesn't. Yeah, you know, and then you're better off, you know, to look for someone that, uh, you know, that that does, you know, that that is looking at it from the same perspective you are. You know, for me, you know, when when I talk about SUVs that that I may not like, uh, you know, it I try to give the context of here's here's my here's why I don't like this, and it's not just I don't like this, but here's why I don't like it, and here's why it might be the right fit for a particular customer. And that's that's I think that's really the important thing when you're reviewing this stuff is to provide the, that background of why you feel about it one way or another and who you think it might be right for. 
you know, and when you do that, you know, yes, you're going to get divergent opinions because people are coming at it from different perspectives. They have different points of view. And, you know, if you've, you, you have to find the, the reviews that, that meet that point of view. And, you know, I think for, for us, you know, we're, you know, we're typically trying to come at it from the perspective of the average person that might be looking to buy a vehicle, you know, and, you know, what, what are they going to get for their money out of this product? And I think also, and you're absolutely right, Sam, that's the thing is that this is, I, I think, I think we, I go back and forth on the one hand, I want to give my perspective. On the other hand, I realize that I am shorter than 99% of all adults. But at the same time, for shorter people, they're like, hey, you know what? That's really good to know. And, you know, my I I did a I did a, a I don't know what they're called, like IGTV or something with my brother that I posted onto Instagram and he's six, three. And one of my followers wrote and said, you know, that was so helpful getting his perspective. I'm the same size as your brother. And it just demonstrates to me that, you know, it's just because what you know, I may be at, you know, 1% of the population and not the tall version of it. It doesn't mean that people aren't going to find it helpful to know that kind of information. Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't think that that's where the comment was, was sort of uh, going. Um, but yeah, no, no, I, I, I agree. Well, like, well, he reached out to me later and said it was actually supposed to be a dig at motor trend, which I wasn't <laughs> well, really sure I was going to say. It was like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was going to say like, listen, I don't agree with the motor trend guys usually, but I always <laughs> learn something about that kind of person and what they like. Uh, but yeah. but like, that's, that's the thing. Like you could, you could read reviews. You can, you can almost like hate read stuff. Right. And you, you challenge yourself and you learn a different perspective. And that's, that's once like, I, I was so unimpressed with the Lamborghini Urus, for example. But I read Johnny Lieberman's thing in Motor Trend about it, and it just sort of pointed out a few things that made me appreciate it a little more in that Johnny Lieberman way. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it's 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 valid. Um, and it, I look, he continue to criticize us. We'll we'll take it. We might fire back. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and and on that theme, I'd like to jump into um, into a user or a listener email um, that we got uh, a couple of weeks ago, and you know it's it's continuing along this the same theme of you know our perspective on different vehicles, and this one had to do with EVs, and I'm pretty sure the same person was was a, a person who gave us a a rather negative review on Apple Podcasts, and the. Um, you know, the, uh, let me just read this. So, um, <laughs> hi, I, I genuinely enjoy listening to your podcast, but listening to your EV and PHEV recommendations on your most recent podcast, I was struck by your best advice is to wait a couple of years from now for new EVs and EV infrastructure. The only, the really only sane advice for an occasional 350 mile trip is using the Tesla supercharger network. Uh, I would suggest you try to check periodically your pre preconceived notions about the quality of Tesla vehicles and not dogmatically steer people away for fear their vehicles won't last. Every new electric vehicle is by definition an all new or very new platform. The idea that the traditional automakers do EVs better and more reliably than Tesla is something you cannot say at this point in time. What you can say is that qualitatively the experience of owning a Tesla in terms of uh, things people care about, like range, performance, and charging, is better than traditional automakers if you listen to owners, the EPA, and just about everyone else who experiences it. 
when you recommend a four-year-old used Leaf or Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV, for gosh <laughs> sakes, it makes me supremely glad, very glad, giddy in fact, that if I randomly selected 6,000 people off the street, only about one would have ever heard of wheel bearings, uh, Sam, Rebecca, or, or Dan. Wow. Um, so, wow, that's hilarious. So, so, so let me let me respond to this. <laughs> well, I mean, okay. okay. No, to be fair. Let me go to the ER because I am burned. There are some valid points there. There, like, there that I, we didn't recommend the no, Mitsubishi. I, I I said something about it. I said, Listen, you can buy the Mitsubishi. Yeah. Um. But there, <laughs> listen, there are valid points there. But I think, at least from from my perspective, when I steer people away from Tesla, it has nothing to do with their EV prowess. Every time somebody brings up Tesla to me, I say they they do great. You know, motors, batteries, powertrain. You know, power management, like all the EV stuff. Fantastic. They're not as good, demonstrably not as good at building a freaking car. And that is a, a big deal. And the supercharger network, yeah, I guess for now, but th- that's at some point there's going to be a, you know, the, the lines are going to cross and that's going to be an obsolete network that they're I going think- to have to scramble yeah. to upgrade. So I'm sorry, Sam, go, I- go ahead. <laughs> uh, go, go, you go ahead, Rebecca. I'm sorry. I feel like you say that a lot to me and I appreciate that. (laughs) That was another email, but we don't need to get into that. Oh, no. (laughs) I I feel like I think it's very important to say that nobody wants Elon Musk to fail. Nobody wins if Tesla fails. It does not. But there's there's the. There's this ex- such extreme between the haves and the have-nots, the the Tesla Teslarati, and oh my gosh, you hate them. It, that's not true. I have considered myself for years now a Tesla realist. I want Elon Musk to succeed because I think it helps the industry, and I think it's a good thing that he pushes the envelope. But the idea that we have blind faith one way or the other just is not a fair assessment of how we look at the brand, I think. And and I I agree with that. And, you know, we have, we have all said repeatedly on this show that, you know, clearly the industry would not be moving in the direction it is at the speed it is right now, had it not been for the, the success of Tesla to the degree it's had success so far, you know, they, they have spurred the entire industry and demonstrated to the entire industry that EVs can be a, a, you know, a realistic, you know, viable proposition that consumer, some, a lot of consumers actually want to buy, not just that they have to buy because they, um, you know, because they're trying to virtue signal or, you know, they, they feel a certain way, you know, but it's, you know, they're creating a product that people actually want to buy. That said, you know, I think, you know, we, we've also I think we've also made clear, you know, as Dan said, that, you know, we think that, you know, for all the good that Tesla has done, you know, we don't think it's a particularly well run company for a lot of reasons. And, you know, we don't need to rehash that right now. But also to address a couple of specific points in this in this email here, it says the really only sane advice for an occasional 350 mile trip is using the Tesla supercharger network or rent a car. Actually, no, that's nonsense. The only, if you have an occasional 350 mile trip, but you want to drive an EV, the sane advice is to buy a used leaf. And then for those occasional trips, rent a car, rent, you know, rent, rent an ICE car, you know, because if you use it occasionally and it's not something that you're driving every day, then, you know, you're not having, it's, it's not, having the kind of impact of, you know, 
for example, driving a Tahoe on a daily basis, you know, when you're, you know, it's only one or two people in the car, that's stupid. You know, that's just, that's insane. But, you know, if you, you know, and if you want something, you know, if you have a, a 10 or 15 mile commute, you know, owning a, a Nissan Leaf or, you know, some other lower cost EV makes a lot more sense to do that on a daily basis or even to, you know, to have a conventional, you know, an ICE vehicle that is much less expensive, you know, in, in even a, a used, you know, older vehicle, um, you know, from a, from a, from a pure cost analysis, you know, pure economic point of view for the average consumer that can't afford a 40 or $50,000 car, you know, owning a, you know, having a $20,000 or, you know, or even a used $10,000 Corolla is a lot more sane. But even if you're going to have something like a used leaf, you know, and then rent a, a Tahoe or a minivan, you know, a couple of times a year, um, you know, if you've got to take the kids on a road trip to go visit the grandparents or to go to Disneyland or something, that's actually a lot more sane than, you know, owning a very expensive car that you're not taking advantage of all of its potential capabilities on a daily basis. I, I think there's that we do it with with regular cars, too. And I, I think what it comes down to is the like, if I had to, I could kind of thing. And I, in the sense that the Tesla has the range and they have the charging network. Yes, I agree. If that's something that you are regularly doing and you want to do it EV. Sure, it might might make sense. You can even get a used Tesla. That's that's fine. Uh -huh. Um but I, I think I think part of that question, and maybe I'm mistaken, but part of the original question was so there was an economic factor to it as well. We were looking at at costs, and so some of the suggestions we were trying to to keep the costs lower, uh, and which which drives you know those those other um, suggestions. And when you're talking about a used car, any used car, like I'm gonna, I I, I recommend the Camry and the Corolla, and those are not cars that excite me to drive in any way. <laughs> But, but they, you know, but they're, they're affordable and reliable. Right. So and that's the same thing I'm doing. I'm going to recommend a Leaf because Nissan has been at it a very long time. And that car has most of its bugs worked out. Yeah, it's not it's not a Tesla, but you can you can get a used Leaf for a very good price and it will it has enough range to to really cover most of your needs. Uh, a Bolt, same thing. The Bolt is very well done. I think it's sort of not on anybody's radar, even though it's been in production for a long time. Uh, and you can, you can pick one up and it's going to work, you know, kind of as advertised reliably. Um, and there's dealer networks and support structures around, and that's the other side of car ownership. And not everybody wants to be, uh, a beta tester for the manufacturer. And I think that, um, you run into this, like, well, you should listen to the owners. Well, kind of, um, but if you listen to owners of a lot of cars who sort of they're they're in love with their car right like i when i was in the the rear wheel drive volvo thing for uh you know a number of years you know the little pocket of enthusiasts um there's always that sort of like comparison of like our cars are better than anybody else's cars and you know those those cars over there that are you know the competitor group or whatever the rivals well they're not good because they don't do these things and so there's always that grain of salt you have to take with the 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 owner's perspective and a lot of owners don't actually know what they're talking about <laughs> so there is that not to pull that card but like i don't know this just gets to wind up i'm gonna make us get more emails <laughs> so yeah. i'm gonna stop no, talking but 
you're, you're right. I mean, the, the original, you know, I mean, I think what the, the original recommendations that, you know, that this uh, writer was responding to, you know, were based on, you know, as, as we talked about, you know, earlier, you know, it's based on context, you know, what, you know, the question that was being, we were trying to answer the question that was being asked. Somebody had a budget that they were working to. And so we were trying to give some recommendations that would fit that budget. Uh, you know, and, you know, in this case here, you know, if you can afford a Tesla and you want to buy a Tesla, go for it. Be my guest. I'm not going to stop you. Um, you know, but it's, it's just not, you know, just as, you know, a Miata is not the right choice for, you know, at least 1% of the, of the population, you know, it's, you know, a Tesla or any other car is not the right choice for, you know, some portion of the population. So I think also there's a couple things to remember. <laughs> Fuel economy standards and the zero emission vehicle mandate out of California, it's not a suggestion, it's a mandate, uh -huh. has also been pushing the development of electric vehicle technology. I, I don't know that Tesla has pushed adoption rates of electric vehicles. They've pushed adoption rates of Teslas that happen to be electric. I think they've pushed consideration of electric vehicles. Yeah, and and they've and they've also. But have shown... they pushed adoption of it? I, I don't know. I think you, that's a, that's a good point. But I think they've they've yeah. at least put them on other people's radar to the point where other automakers have seen that it's a viable business. Well, other automakers don't have a choice because the California ZEV mandate. Right. But they were, they've shifted from building right, compliance cars to now saying, oh, there's a know, niche I, in that premium yeah. marketplace. Absolutely. So. And, and that was a key, that was a, a key flaw in like, I'm just going to pick on, on GM for a minute, because as we've heard before, if the, the Volt with a V, if that had been a Cadillac, I think they would have been much better. And, and, and if it actually had looked at that, like the, XLR was it or the ELR, ELR rather yep. that was a beautiful looking vehicle but at the end of the day it turned out that it was a charted up volt and nobody was going to pay, pay that kind of money for it so the strategy what Tesla has done so well is they have married technology with a beautiful vehicle with the the mystique that is Elon Musk uh, the and all that's the, that's the right? difference the mystique is, is a big part of it and it, it, it is a huge part yeah. of it and so, you know, when I was doing work in Saudi, we were looking at who was buying electric vehicles and there were three distinct profiles and the Tesla buyer was completely different than the Nissan Leaf buyer. And those were primarily two that we compared it with. The Nissan Leaf buyer had two different types of people. One was actually wealthier than the other one and more educated. The other one was more economic and environmentally motivated, but it was it was very distinct. And, and when I look at vehicles like the Audi e-tron that is so good and, and size appropriate for today's marketplace, whether you agree with it or not, it, it's, it, and the fact that that isn't just booming to me says that this is less, the Tesla success is not so much centered a hundred percent around electric vehicles, electrified vehicles, but it's, it's really around a variety of factors. Oh, well, you know, granted, as, as good as the e-tron e is in a lot of ways, and I think the same also applies to the Taycan and, and some others. Sure. You know, they, they, you know, 
the European premium brands have fallen way short in terms of trying to be competitive with Tesla, you know, on the, the very things that this writer, um, you know, is highlighting, you know, the, not so much the performance, but certainly the range, um, you know, is, a, you know, as irrational as it may be, you know, that, you know, do you really need, you know, 350 miles of, of EV range? No, probably not. And we've discussed that before. But, you know, if you're going to try to compete in the marketplace, you know, where you've got Tesla over here with 300 plus miles of range and all you can manage to scrape up is 200 miles. Or in the case of the Taycan Turbo S, you know, 192, I think, or 9194, you know, you look at that. It's like, oh, man, I don't know. You know, it's it, yeah, they, it's I, think, I think they, they have fallen short, you know, and. And, you know, we've been critical of those brands for doing that, especially, you know, when prior to launching those vehicles, they talked so much about, you know, getting 300 miles of range with these vehicles. But what they didn't tell you was all the little asterisks. Oh, this is on the European NEDC drive cycle, which is a completely meaningless test that, you know, is wildly over optimistic. You know, so, you know, we've 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 given we've had plenty of criticism to share across the industry for this stuff. Yeah. But I just feel like when pe- when people, I'm sorry. No, yeah. carry on. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like when people talk about Tesla, they they brag about the torque, which is a result of the electric vehicle, obviously being electrified. They brag about autopilot, about being quiet. They're not bragging about, hey, ch- come and check out my electric vehicle. They say, "Come and te- check out my Tesla." Well, yeah, that's that's true, and I, I think that they do. Yeah, I mean, the amount of vanity plates speaks to this, where they they like to say, "You know, I'm not using any gas." There's that virtue signaling there, and uh, okay, fine. Um, it, it's just it's a it's a it's a lifestyle. It's a conspicuous purchase, and um, the the product it has its pluses. Um, but me as a, as a car buyer, if I'm looking to drop that kind of money on it, uh, the customer experience needs work and the way the company, yeah. And the way the company is run, like, look, I choose not to do business with companies that I don't agree with their professional ethics. And that is a company I disagree with heartily, uh, in terms of its professional ethics. And so I, I I won't do business with them. I mean, I, look, I, (laughs) I refused earlier today. I was like, we're not going to go see the concert that's at Mohegan Sun because I don't agree with casinos. <laughs> like, it's the same thing. Like, I just, like you can buy one if you want one, if you believe it, if you want to put up with the stuff, if you want to own the thing, fine. I'm sure you'll you'll like some aspects of it and you won't like other aspects of it. Cool. And if it works for you, fine. Uh, this goes back to, I think, again, understanding the source and y- I'm glad that we have a listener who will sort of give it to us like, (laughs) and just like, okay. Um, But you kind of like, this is, this is where we're coming from. And if you disagree, go, go buy a Tesla and I hope you're happy with it. And I, you know, please tell us why you love it. And that might help us understand the ownership experience better. And hopefully you don't accidentally make an in-app purchase. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the idea that, you know, the podcast isn't viable because we're not Tesla files is just absurd. It's childish. Yeah. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Breathe, breathe. (sighs) 
Wait, did somebody really send an email that I interrupt you a lot, Sam? Uh, no, it's the other way around that I interrupt you too much. And if I do, I'm sorry. Oh, I don't but, feel like but, that at all. But, 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 you know, uh, just, you know, keep in <laughs> mind that, you know, we are talking to each other over Skype, you know, where there, there's always a, uh, some inherent latency and we can't see each other's faces. It's not like we're sitting around a table and, you know, so sometimes, um, you know, we may talk over each other. We try, you know, I think we all try not to. Yeah. But, you know, occasionally it does happen. But we are. We are. Um, we have we have a live thing in, in, in the works soon. I should yeah. make sure I book yeah, airfare but, for that or book a car to drive because I don't like the carbon footprint of flying. So <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful for I'm grateful that somebody is standing up for me. But and, and yes. I appreciate that. But I don't feel like you intro. Me. And so I'm sorry if it comes across like that. That's too bad because that's definitely not vibe was was it was an email from larry by any chance um <laughs> just my, my big brother larry he's definitely gonna come and beat you up <laughs> uh, no no it was it was not from larry larry's more likely to ask you to smoke a joint yeah, but oh, hey you know <laughs> is that legal in connecticut <laughs> i don't know but it is in california it's, where he lives it is fully <laughs> legal, legal in Massachusetts. It's, it's i swear to god i i mean i go skiing on fridays with my my son he's in the the ski club and man and there are times when you go to the mountain and you're just like, whoa, kids. <laughs> With the well, let's just say what, when you asked me about Nam at the beginning of the show, I did leave out that part. Oh, that it's just like, yes. <laughs> as, as the day went on, there were definitely people yeah. that had a more interesting aroma. That's when you get them to buy stuff. I, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Right? If high, and not just mm. snacks. Yeah. I don't know if high people are as suggestible <laughs> as drunks. I, I spend enough time around drunk people. You figure out how you can sort of push them in which direction you want them to go. If you stay, st it's anyway, we are totally off topic. So let's get back on topic. What else do we want to talk about? So, you know, you know what, uh, you know, what's uh, good now that, you know, now that pot is becoming legal everywhere is you is smell it, it everywhere. <laughs> well, there's that, but eventually someday you won't have to worry about, you know, being impaired and driving. Because you might actually maybe possibly have autonomous vehicles. Um, and Cruz uh, this past week uh, showed us what they're getting prepared for that. And Cruz, for those who don't recall, is Cruz Automation is a company that GM bought in 2016 uh, to develop their production automated driving system. And since then, uh, SoftBank and Honda both put money into it and they took equity stakes in Cruz. Um, and this week, Cruz uh, in San Francisco showed off the Cruz Origin. Um, when Honda uh, jumped into the fray in late 2018 uh, with GM and, and Cruise, part of that deal was that Honda and GM would collaborate on developing a purpose-built automated vehicle for Cruise. And you know the, the reason for that is because you know up until now, Cruise has been using a fleet of modified Chevrolet Bolts, just as everybody else in this business has been using various modified production vehicles for their. Uh, for their development purposes. But frankly, none of the vehicles that you can go out and buy today are really well suited to being robo taxis because, you know, they don't have things like doors that close automatically. And, you know, they still have all kinds of other stuff that you don't need for a robo taxi, like steering wheels and pedals and all kinds of other, you know, little, little, you know, trivial things. <laughs> so, um, so they, you know, Honda and GM and working together with Cruise develop, have developed a vehicle that they call the Cruise Origin. 
which is a robo taxi. And this is the kind of vehicle, there's already some vehicles out there that are not fundamentally different, you know, things like the Navia Arma and, you know, there's various other uh, developmental, you know, uh, robo taxis. The, you know, one of the things about the origin is uh, that, you know, it's, it really takes into account a lot of the stuff I've been talking about for the last several years and a lot of the talks I give at conferences, you know, which is this idea of robo taxis need to be modular. Uh, you know, and so it, you need to rethink the architecture of the vehicle. You know, today when manufacturers design vehicles, they design them to, you know, last 10, 15, 20 years, you know, go, you know, a couple hundred thousand miles. Um, you know, when you start talking about the robo taxi application, you know, ideally, you know, these things are running all day, you know, carrying people, delivering packages and so on. And, you know, getting very high utilization. They're not sitting around parked 95% of the time, like our conventional vehicles are. And so, you know, these things are going to be racking up, you know, maybe 100,000 miles a year or more. And if you took a, a conventional vehicle, you know, thing would be worn out in two or three years and you scrap it and start over again. What Cruise and GM and Honda have done is they came up, you know, they, they developed a vehicle where the basic structure of the vehicle, you know, is designed to last a million miles, you know, so the structure, the chassis, all that stuff designed for a million miles of use. And then all the stuff that goes into it is modular and it's designed to be easily replaced. So things like the sensors, you know, when you've got a technology like automated driving where it's evolving quickly, um, you know, two or three years from now, the sensors you're using may well be obsolete and you want something that has better performance, lower cost. Same thing with the communication system, you know, as we're going from 4G to 5G to whatever comes after that, um, you know, and, uh, you know, and because these things are going to be used for people getting in and out all the time, you know, you want interior uh, seating and, and things that are designed for this kind of use case, um, you know, that are going to be durable and easy to clean. Uh, oh, and, you know, you want things like doors that close automatically. <laughs> if you have, you know, a million Tesla Model 3 robo taxis, you know, people get out of the vehicle. They may or may not close the door completely. You know, then the car is stuck there and it can't move. And, you know, and it's not like a, you know, like a regular taxi or a ride hail vehicle where, you know, you've got a driver there that can go around and close the door if the, if the passenger gets out and doesn't close it properly or leaves the trunk lid unlatched. You know, all, the, all this stuff is taken care of in this design, you know, to really, you know, it's, it's addressing what you actually need for this kind of use case. So... Um, it seemed like there was a little bit of disappointment with it, though, when it, it debuted the other day. Um, although people were saying, like, yeah, they're not they're not messing around. They're pretty serious. Uh, but <clears throat> I, I, I guess, can you sort of speak to impressions of, of how it was received? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, this, you know, this is not a how should I put this? This is not, uh, you know, a real um, design statement. You know, it's not it's not, you know, some sexy looking new sports car. You know, it's basically a box on wheels, which is what all of these things are going to be. You know, it's it's going to be a box on wheels um, because that is what you actually want for that kind of use case. You know, you want something that's easy to get in and out of, uh, you know, easy to put stuff in, uh, you know, and because there's no operator there, you know, you've got, like I said, you got to deal with those other issues. Um, you know, I think, in, you know, to some to some degree, you know, the design team has done some interesting things with this thing. Like, you know, the way they've incorporated the cruise colors, you know, they're orange, white, black, you know, to, for some of this, you know, it's not, you know, it, it's got a little more 
style to it, but you know, it's, it's never going to be something really cool and sexy looking because that kind of vehicle doesn't make sense for this kind of application. You know, a few years ago at CES, Mercedes showed a concept called the FO 15, which was this really sleek looking thing, you know, and that, yeah, it's cool, but you know, it makes no sense for a robo taxi. You want something that's more upright, you know, and you know, in the case of the origin, you know, they've got, Seating for six, you know, everybody facing the middle of the vehicle. So you got lots of leg room, you know, easy to move around. It's, um, you know, it, it's a much better use case. It's sort of the evolution of what we've seen in the interiors of airplanes, right? Like, yeah, you know, a private plane looks very different than a, a than a typical 737 or Airbus A380 or something. You, you know, when you look at a private plane, they're small, they've got couches, like they've got all sorts of crazy things going on. And that's great for that purpose. But what we're talking about is not private ownership of vehicles. We're talking about a, a public space, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody's going to yeah. have these in, in their driveway. This is a public space. This is right. a way to get from A to B. Isn't that kind of a bus? That's a different thing. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, well, it's a minibus. Don't get me started. It's, Don't get me yeah. started on calling no, things. Uh, <laughs> no, and, and that, you know, that's essentially, I mean, what we're talking about here, you know, is microtransit. You know, it, it's all about, you know, right side, you know, getting the right size vehicle for every trip. You know, so this vehicles like this are, first of all, never going to be sold to consumers. This is only going to be used for mobility services. Right. But it's also, you know, a case of, you know, it's something where, you know, buses, you know, buses and subways and so on are great for routes where you have a lot of people going the same direction. But there's a lot of trips that we take in urban areas where you don't have a lot of people going the same direction at the same time. Or I guess areas that aren't and, urban too, like those still need mobility. So, yeah, okay. Right. 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 And the last, and, that last mile sort of thing. Yeah. And so, you know, that's why, you know, you, there isn't a single silver bullet solution. I, I think there's a lot of people in urban areas that should be taking buses and subways and trains, but there's a lot of trips where that doesn't make sense. And that's why, um, you know, transit, transit systems are so challenged when it comes to their finances, because they have to try to service as much of a city as they can provide, provide service, but there's not enough utilization on a lot of those routes or at certain times of the day to make it economically yeah, viable. Well, so that's another question I have is like, who says that transit has to necessarily make revenue? Um, it, it, it kind of, pro- it provides others the, the ability to, to make that revenue. Like, right. It, it provides. It doesn't you, need to make true. a profit. It doesn't need to make yeah. a profit. Well, it needs to make, it needs to pay it, for it, itself. Though. Or, or does it, or, or does it? Because well, like in, by in providing that mobility, like and no. this is always the knock on it. Like, well, how are we going to pay for it? And it's like, well, I mean, in some capacity though, I, I suppose, but I if, mean, if you provide enough mobility, right, you can get people to work. And then those in theory, I know this no. is a beautiful theory. Those people will pay taxes <laughs> and those taxes will be the revenue that offsets the, the, you know, cost of the system. I, if they facil- yes, if it facilitates create job creation, then by all means. But it's what you're really focusing on is convenience. We have seen with the the explosion of Uber and Lyft and such that people will pay for convenience. 
They will pay some for, people will pay for it. Some, but a lot of people, people that can. Well, so the, but yeah, but the crazy people thing is, can. like those people, they can pay for convenience, and they're paying ostensibly for convenience, but they're not getting it. They're actually paying to make everything for everybody else, including themselves, less convenient because they're adding to no. congestion. Absolutely. I mean, New York City, I have never seen it so crowded and and it's ridiculous. And and you can spot an Uber Lyft driver a mile away because they're driving differently than the yellow taxis. Right. Well, because they, those drivers they less, know where they're they going. Like, they're professionals. Yeah, the yellow taxis is like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm always I mean, amused by those rides. <laughs> it's like, I just no, like riding you know, the back of NASCAR with no seatbelt. <laughs> absolutely. No, you know what's so funny though, Dan, is seriously like, I remember because I actually didn't drive in New York until I was in my 20s, even though I grew up because we didn't need to. Yeah. We, we just take the yeah, train. Yeah, you take the train. Yeah. Uh, right. But I remember having lived in Boston for 13 years when I moved back to this, into the, into the metro New York area. The traffic was far more predictable in Manhattan because you were because you were dealing with yellow taxis and that was your main foe. Mm, yeah. In Boston, you're dealing with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was very unpredictable to me. And I actually got into the rhythm of driving in New York because you you anticipate that you know that that yellow taxi driver is going to be unbelievably offensive, right? He is a defense. He's he's driving in defensive mode. Yeah. You then have to drive in appropriate. Yeah, but no, see, that's the thing. You can mix it up with the taxis and they don't they don't they don't mind like they'll be aggressive but if you're exactly. aggressive back like oh, okay at a certain point that's expected <laughs> yeah. that that's expected with uber and lyft dominating the roads today it's not you don't know what you're getting because you've got very you've got people that are everyday drivers driving other people around they they're not qualified they don't know where they're going they have not had the same type of training and it's a really different thing but my whole point is that is that people this this mobility, these evolution, this, the evolution in mobility, we have to migrate. It has to evolve towards convenience because it doesn't evolve towards groups. Like that's that's why carpooling is not that popular because you can't as 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 um, as Sam said, it's about getting it, the mass to a certain direction, but that funnel, as you get closer to that location, the funnel gets narrower and narrower as to how many people actually need to go to that spot. Yes, that's true. And people, right. And people will pay for the convenience of getting dropped off right at their doorway. I still think, you know, it just is going to take one really solid economic downturn and then carpooling is going to be back. <laughs> uh, it's, but, you know, it's actually um, the economic side of it is interesting to me just because SoftBank is an investor. And man, SoftBank has not had a good track record lately, especially. No, and, and that's and that's one oh. of the one of the things here. You know, SoftBank, you know, it's now becoming, you know, something to, you know, when you see, oh, this is a company that SoftBank put money into. I'm going the right, other exactly. way. Exactly. I'm like, yeah. oh, boy. Yeah. But so, you know, and and. This is something, we, you know, we can we'll be talking about more in the future. But, you know, th this is, you know, just one piece of you know a multimodal mobility ecosystem that, you know, goes from micro micro mobility, you know, scooters and bikes to, you know, pods like this to uh, to mass transit, you know, and 
everything in between, you know, we, we need a lot of different solutions, you know, so that you have the, the right vehicle for every trip, uh, you know, because, you know, there is there is no solution that is ideal for everything, for every trip, for every person. Yeah, so we talked about, I think, the philosophy behind this. Was there any, any sort of like engineering things that stood out? I mean, you got two, you know, two companies that are solid engineering powerhouses, GM and Honda, um, you know, putting this thing together. It, 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 is it, is, they, I'm assuming it's viable and not just. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, they, they were, you know, they were. Pr- uh, pretty light on specific details, but I did get some stuff from a variety of people I talked to uh, this week. Um, first of all, the the EV platform that they're using for this thing is not based on the Bolt. It's actually GM's, what they call their BEV3 platform. It's their new generation EV platform, uh, which is going to be, uh, so it means it's sharing components with, um, you know, things like the, the upcoming uh, Cadillac electric crossover that's coming and various other uh, EVs that are coming from GM in the next couple of years. Um, also, um, you know, they, in, in order to try to keep the cost of this vehicle manageable, you know, they're staying away from exotic materials like carbon fiber and so on. It's got a basic steel unibody structure, um, you know, and, you know, but they, they claim that, you know, the cost of this vehicle, even with the automated driving system, is gonna they didn't give a specific number but they they hinted that it would be about half the cost of a premium electric suv um and and the and the slide that they showed during the presentation they had two cruise origins and a tesla model x and you know so that kind of implies that it's somewhere in the 45 to fifty thousand dollar price range and when i talked to people afterwards they said yeah that's about right somewhere in that neighborhood and by getting rid of things that you don't need uh, from conventional vehicles like the steering wheel and pedals and mirrors and windshield wipers and, um, you know, power seats and all this other stuff that we've been talking about today. Um, you know, that takes a lot of cost out of the thing, you know, and keeping it uh, a more simple, straightforward thing and then, you know, making it modular so that you can easily service and replace these various components that uh, over the over the life of the vehicle. I, I think that's a very smart approach. Uh-huh. I look forward to taking like- a ride on it and telling people what I think. <laughs> I, I, I hear, I hear it's going to show up somewhere later, uh, somewhere this summer for some pilot programs. And I'm sure we'll start seeing these on the streets in San Francisco, um, you know, sometime in the next several I months. I super duper can't wait to heckle the crap out of that in Boston traffic either. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is super one of the duper. challenges that AV developers have is is dealing with hecklers. Yeah, <laughs> with super duper, right? Exactly. Well, yeah. Boston. <laughs> Did we have any other topics that we wanted to cover? And we got a little bit out of order, I think, with with our our topic list. But I think we covered everything. Um, yeah, we did. Okay. Um, wow. Let me see, there, there's a couple other emails, but let's save those for next time. Any uh, praise? We'll any effusive praise? I'll take the effusive praise. Uh, yeah, so uh, there was uh, Chuck Goolsby. Oh, Chuck, Chuck. Uh, he, Chuck is a friend yeah, of ours. He, he, yeah, he he, uh, he sent us his Hello World email. Uh, and he's uh, just to let us know he's out there. And um, his uh, current fleet includes uh, an 07 uh, BMW M Roadster, a 65 E-Type Jaguar. Still has the E-Type. A, nice. 70, a 79 BMW 320i and an 87 uh, M6. Um, so... Uh, yeah, and and he's had a, a bunch of other interesting vehicles over the years as well. So he's he's or actually uh, some of, uh, some of these he actually still has. Uh, oh, he says he, these days he mostly drives a Kubota diesel tractor. 
Um, does, does he but, drive uh, the tractor? Or does the tractor drive the tractor? Uh, sounds like he said he drives okay. it. Okay. So we'll see. see. I think there's a market uh, for um, like retrofitting the autonomous driving onto tractors that can be repaired. Um, yeah. <laughs> Do you have a lot of caffeine today? <laughs> I had a little bit. I also think there's a market for, um, you know, making screens that replace the giant touchscreens in cars and you have buttons and switches on them and maybe a smaller screen. Hey, right. Hey, um, I I will say I was so excited today because I was able to both turn the radio on, adjust the volume and change the station the very first time in the Jeep Wrangler. And I appreciate that. That's that's that is excellent. Yeah. Just wait till next year when they put like a 24 inch curve screen. Although I think the curve screens are actually going to be good. Yeah, we'll, we'll 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 be talking more about such screens next week. All right, awesome. Can't wait. Well, until then, uh, we'll catch everybody later. All right, bye. Cheers. Bye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.